Then we turn to Matthew, the 24th chapter. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto him, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down thither. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now I said tonight I was going to speak on the weeping wall or the wall there where the Jews went and prayed, have been praying all these centuries, and which is called the Wailing Wall. And when they captured the city of Jerusalem on Wednesday, two weeks ago, we were told that the most important thing that happened was the blowing of the ram's horn, which I spoke on last night and showed you how that horn brought about the falling of the walls of Jericho and all these historical references. But that the most sacred spot to the Jews today is the Wailing Wall. When you think about all the things there that could be sacred, of course you understand that the place where Jesus was crucified would not be sacred to them because they don't believe in it. But Golgotha is a very sacred place to the Christians. And also the tomb of Jesus, the garden tomb, where Christ was raised from the dead. That is of not any special importance to the Jews as such because they have not accepted Christ as their Messiah except for a small remnant in our day. So the sacred place to the Christian is Calvary, uh, Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, the open tomb. These are the big things. And Bethlehem, the birthplace of Christ. So the things which are sacred to the Christian are not necessarily sacred to the Jew. But among the places which are sacred to the Jew, of course, are the parts of Jerusalem that have to do with David, King David. And we saw that the secular press reported during these momentous days that when these tens of thousands went into the Wailing Wall and they tore down a whole block of buildings and opened up that area so they could get in there, that they were chanting with these waves, David the King lives. David the King lives. David the king lives. And it's the house of David. The house of David. The promises to David. And then everything that relates to Abraham is also very sacred to the Jews. Our father Abraham. Jesus said, if Abraham were your father, he said, you'd love me. Oh, but they say, we are Abraham's children. So anything that had to do with Abraham, and that's why... These places, uh, Hebron and the tomb of Abraham and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, these are the areas where the Jews are, are so concerned so far as the sacred places are concerned, are, are to be maintained. 
But when you get to this matter of Abraham, the temple of Solomon was placed right over the place where Abraham supposed to have sacrificed Isaac. And the temple of Solomon was built right there. And so you've got the place where Abraham sacrificed Isaac or prepared to sacrifice Isaac, the building of Solomon's temple right on that spot, the destruction of Solomon's temple when they were carried off in the great Babylonian captivity, then the rebuilding of that temple under Zerubbabel, and you call it Zerubbabel's temple. And then that temple was destroyed. And then we have the third temple, which is called Herod's temple, which was the temple which was in existence at the time of Christ, and which had been pretty well completed about 6 or 11, about 11 A.D. Herod's temple was completed. And so Herod's temple didn't have anything like the glory or the wonders or the wealth that Solomon's temple had in it or any other temples. However, uh, Zerubbabel's temple and also Herod's temple did have some elements, some, uh, some of the sacred vessels that they were able to put in that temple. And Jesus Christ recognized that temple and he was the one who went into that temple at the beginning of his ministry and then toward the end of his ministry and he cleaned the thing up. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And so he recognized that Herod's temple, which was the third temple that they've ever had. And since the destruction of Herod's temple in 70 AD, which our Savior here predicted, they have not had a temple. And they have not had a sacrifice. They've had nothing for these 2,000 years. Now, our Savior said, that the temple in which he was, and he looked at it, he said, this will be torn down and there won't be left a stone upon a stone. And it is a matter of fact and a matter of history that when Titus came in there and he besieged that city for four months and the city fell, that Titus himself had left orders not to destroy the temple. But one of the Roman soldiers, and the reason we get this in this way is that Josephus, you don't get this out of the Bible. But Josephus, who was a very profuse historian of the Jews and of the problems of the Jews, discusses the fall of Jerusalem in great length in his wars, as they're called. And uh, he explains that uh, the Roman emperor had forbidden them to destroy the temple, but that some Roman soldiers set the thing on fire and that everything that was inflammable about it, completely burned. And then the soldiers, on their own responsibility, proceeded to tear the temple down until there wasn't a stone left standing on stone. There were just heaps and utter debris. That's all that was left of it. Now, since that time, of course, uh, in 363 A.D., the Roman Emperor Julian he said he was going to rebuild that temple, and he started out, and no sooner did he get started than flames enveloped it from underneath somewhere or other. Nobody knows about it, but it wasn't, he wasn't able to do it, and the idea was abandoned. Then, of course, the Mohammedans came along, and they have moved in, the Arabs, and now we have the Mosque of Omar sitting there uh, over this same holy place where Abraham sacrificed Isaac, and the Mohammedans have moved in, and one of your great disputes and one of your great problems now 
is going to be between the Jews and the Mohammedans over the mosque of Omar, which is there in Jerusalem, where Solomon's temple used to stand. And uh, the big questions, so far as some of the future developments are concerned, especially uh, the Jews, is are they going to rebuild the temple of, uh, of the Jews? Are they going to rebuild Solomon's temple? And that's in their hearts and that's in their minds. And this enters into the wailing wall. Why do these Jews go to that wall and wail and wail and carry on and cry? And why do they have their complaints in the minor key? In the minor key? Well, the answer to that is that the Jews have always believed that there would be a deliverer. They have always believed that there would be a, a Messiah. Jesus Christ claimed to be the Messiah, and they rejected him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Jesus Christ said, Another will come in my name, and him ye will receive. And the Jews that look at the Bible are still looking for a deliverer. And three weeks ago, there appeared in Washington, D.C., in one of the papers there, a very large ad, about a quarter of a page, and I understood it caused quite a sensation among the fundamentalists down in Washington when it happened. And somebody came running up to Cape May with it to show it to me. Oh, Dr. McIntyre, here's a big ad in the paper down here put in by some Jew calling upon the Jews to start a fund and to get ready to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. I was in Washington, D.C., and the ad which I read carefully went on to say that if we can rebuild the temple, perhaps the master will come to it. If we can rebuild the temple, perhaps the master will come to it. And this wailing that they've been carrying on all these years, crying out to God, is a cry that they will be delivered of their afflictions, that they will be delivered of their bondages, that they will see Jerusalem inhabited. That is a cry in their hearts, that all these promises that are back in the Old Testament which they've read concerning this deliverer who come, that this day may arise. And isn't it interesting that when they took possession of Jerusalem the other day, that even the Israeli soldiers in the midst of battle, they said they laid down their implements and went to that wailing wall and cried out for help cried out for this deliverance. And then when the great masses were able to come into the city of Jerusalem and they opened the way for them to come the first time, where did they go? You read the accounts and I read the accounts carefully. It said that when they came through the gates now, which are now open, that the police guarded them and guided them and they surged through the narrow streets of Jerusalem and they went straight to the wailing wall. Beloved, I must confess to you, when I heard that cry, David the prince, David the king lives, and read that story that once they got their feet again on that sacred soil of that holy city, that where they went was straight to that wailing wall, and in that minor key in which they wailed, they cried out for deliverance, they cried out for help, they cried to the God of heaven to fulfill their hopes and their dreams. 
And beloved, if you've ever heard the Jews, there's one word they call their synagogues by it. Everywhere you look, it's shalom, 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 shalom. You know what it is? Peace, peace. And what is it? The peace of Jerusalem. It's the peace of Jerusalem. That's what they want. They want to see Jerusalem established. They want to see Jerusalem delivered. They want to get back to where Jerusalem will have peace and will have the glory that was hers in the days of King Solomon and in these great days of David the king. David the king. Out of David there shall come a deliverer, a root and an offspring of David. Here he shall come. And beloved, the Jews have gone back in unbelief as the Bible says they would. They don't believe in Christ like we do tonight. They don't know the Savior like we do tonight. But they have gone back to that city and they've taken possession of that city. And in their unbelief, so far as any Christ or Messiah is concerned, here's all these centuries of their being steeped in the promises that were given to David and the promises concerning Jerusalem and the hope that there would be a Messiah. And all of that is so deeply ingrained in all of them that here they go to that wailing wall and they cry, peace, peace, and they want Jerusalem to be delivered. Only a fundamentalist could preach a sermon like this. Only a Bible believer who understands these great things can preach and deliver a message like this. Now, I'd like to get into this question and I plan to get into it next uh, Sunday night on the Battle of Armageddon. I'm not going to get into all the details of it, of course, tonight. And then following that, the last Sunday night, the, the three, two Sunday nights from now, the Lord willing, I want to take Jerusalem and just build up the whole story of Jerusalem until we get to the holy city, the new Jerusalem. But Jerusalem plays such an important part in this whole prophetic schedule, in the whole unfolding of God's plan for the city of Jerusalem. And you hear our Savior saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killeth the prophets. My, how he wept over the city of Jerusalem. But he's going to come back to that city. And he's going to come back as king and prince. And he's going to be recognized as the deliverer of Israel when he comes. Now I want to turn with you, if you will, over to Zechariah, Zechariah 12, 13 and 14. These passages in here. And, of course, the 14th chapter is somewhat of a summary. But I'd just like to open it up for you and just take it now, look at it, and I want to show you these things. Now, this is an exceedingly important prophecy, and as I've pointed out to you earlier, we take it literally. Here's where we have the story that uh, in chapter 11, verse 12, So they weighed my price, 30 pieces of silver. And it was 30 pieces of silver for which Jesus was betrayed, and there was a prediction of it. And if you're going to take the 30 pieces of silver literally, you're going to have to take these other things in the same fashion. And then when you get to the 14th chapter, you have that marvelous fourth verse, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and that's exactly where it is. And we have direct references to figures and to places and to locations, which we cannot spiritualize and which we cannot eliminate by any process of biblical study or interpretation. Now beginning with chapter 12. 
the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel. For Israel. Uh, what do they call this state over there right now? Israel. They call them Israelis or Israel. What did Paul say in Romans 9 and 10? My heart's desire and prayer for what? Israel is concerned. Israel, Israel, Israel. And then when you come into that same passage in Romans 9, 10, uh, 9, 10 and 11, these three great chapters, Paul says, I'm the apostle to the Gentile. And he speaks about the Jew and the Gentile. Then he speaks about Israel and how they're not all Israel, which are of Israel. He makes a difference between the Israel according to the flesh and Israel according to the spirit, those of us who are born into the kingdom of God. And he makes a difference here between the wild olive branches, which we are, which have been engrafted in because the natural olive branches were cut off. And he shows how the Jews turned aside and they were blinded to these great things concerning their Messiah. And the whole Gentile world came into the picture and Paul goes around saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto the Jew first and also to the Greek. And here are these tremendous prophecies that relate to the Jew and to Israel, to the Gentiles and to the Greeks. And these are, these are terms that are used in there. And when you get Israel, when you get the Jew, when you get those references, and the apostle says, my kinsman according to the flesh, and he identifies himself with Israel, and he identifies himself as being a Jew. And then the apostle Paul turns around in that great ninth chapter says, of whom concerning Christ, according to, came Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. And don't you ever let anybody tell you that Jesus Christ was not a Jew. Paul says he was. Paul said that Christ was his kinsman. According to the flesh, Paul is saying here that this one, Jesus, according to the flesh, was of the Israelis, and he says that he was God. God forever and the fullness of deity and the incarnation plans of God concerned a beautiful Jewish maiden in her purity and in her faith by the name of Mary. And Jesus was born of her yet without sin. All right, now turn to Zechariah chapter 12. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretches forth the heavens and layeth the foundations of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Oh, what a God is going to speak now to Israel. Israel, I laid the foundations of this earth. I'm the one that stretched out the heavens. And I'm the one that formed the spirit that is within man. And don't let anybody tell you that man is the product of some evolutionary process because he didn't get his spirit by some evolutionary development from monkeys or anybody else. God Almighty formed man and God gave unto man an immediate and direct spirit which is the creative work of God. Now, behold, I make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the peoples round about when they shall be in siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And tonight I want to tell you people, the United Nations is getting ready to adopt some kind of a resolution. And I can say to you that what's happened in the Middle East has stirred up enough hatred uh, so far as the Arabs are concerned to, to last a long time against the Jews. 
And furthermore, I'm here to tell you with the communists inflaming this and the communists leading the battle on the side of the Arabs and providing them $2 billion worth of ammunition and everything else, with the communists doing all that, we're headed for a long, drawn-out struggle in the Middle East. And all kinds of charges and countercharges, and it could very easily be before we get very far down the road, Great Britain has come out and said that uh, Jerusalem should be given up. Uh, France has come out and said all territory should be given back. The United States is sort of nodding its head. It says we're neutral, but we're not neutral. Well, we are neutral. The United States is sort of here somewhere in a nebulous position tonight in relation to these questions. But notice this. There shall be a siege against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. Jerusalem will be a burdensome stone. They're all going to fight over it. They're all going to have a time over Jerusalem. And what is the thing they're all talking about tonight? Jerusalem. They're all talking about Jerusalem. Internationalize it. Who's going to control it? What's going to be? Whether we're going to make them give it up? And the Jews are saying, "No, we'll never give up Jerusalem. We now have it. We're going to keep it, and under no circumstances." And furthermore, they're telling everybody, no matter what the United Nations says, we're not going to give up Jerusalem. Now that's your that's your impasse tonight in the political world at large. I'm reading Zechariah, beloved, about 490 years before Christ was born. Jerusalem shall be a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Through all the peoples of the earth, though all the peoples of the earth be gathered together against it. Oh, there's going to come this day when they will gather against Jerusalem. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. And I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their hearts, The inhabitants of Judah, of Jerusalem, shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day I will make the governors of Judah like an hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheaf. And they shall devour all the people round about them on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. Shalom, shalom, shalom. They're praying for Jerusalem. They're at the wailing wall tonight. They're crying out for this thing to come to pass. And the Lord shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. Oh, when they went in there the other day and that word came over the air, David the king lives, the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. My, I'm reading a tremendous prophecy, beloved, of these end times. And I hold in my hand an infallible record, a holy book. This is it. We have it. It's a precious thing to have. 
All right, turn back to the 14th chapter. We have a little summary here in the 14th chapter of what we've had in the 12th and the 13th chapters, but notice 14. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of them. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravaged. And half of the city shall go into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth. The Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north and half toward the south. Now will you turn, please, to Romans, the 11th chapter. The 11th chapter of Romans. The latter part of this 11th chapter of Romans. In verse 13, Paul says, I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my office. And then he moves on down and he comes to the place 25. I would not have you, brethren, to be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceit, you Gentiles, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the times of the Gentiles be come in. Blindness in part. There are some Jews that are being saved and there will be some Jews. But blindness is in part. Now, verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. They were blinded. The Gentiles have been grafted in. They were enemies that we might be grafted in. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And beloved, God has made certain callings. He's laid down certain programs. He's promised to Israel, to the seed of Abraham, to the seed of David, according to the flesh as it relates to that land and to that city. And not because of their sin and not because of their righteousness, only because God is a covenant-keeping God, will he perform it and will he keep that covenant. And what you have here is a clear promise. So all Israel shall be saved. There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer. And this is what they're praying for at the Wailing Wall. This is what that wailing wall is praying for. They're praying for something, for someone. They're praying for this. Now turn back to Zechariah, if you will, that 14th chapter. And we read there that the Lord himself shall go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. And what I want to get you people to see and understand as clearly as anything is outlined in the Holy Scripture. It is that we've reached a time when the Jews have gone back and they have possession of Jerusalem and all of it. And they say they will never give it up. And we are at the beginning of a period now that's going to continue for some time. 
At least it's going to continue for the tribulation period after the rapture. The rapture will take us away. And I think we're close to it. The situation is set now in Jerusalem that for the first time in 2,000 years, it is no longer trodden down by anything that could be called a Gentile. The Jews have it. They're going to rule it. They have possession of it. And they're defying the United Nations and everybody else in regard to it. And we're reached a state now where Jerusalem is a burden to the nations. That's exactly what she is tonight. She's the bone of contention in the nations tonight. And you're seeing the stage being set for that day when the Lord says, I'll gather them all against Jerusalem. And Zechariah says it. And uh, uh, Paul says it. Our Savior says it. Jerusalem shall be compassed about. And then we have this magnificent declaration that in that hour when there's nobody left to help Israel, in that hour when Israel has been attacked, the battle of Armageddon has just been raging, we'll be discussing that next Sunday night, but in that tremendous hour, the deliverer will appear. And then they'll all see and it'll be like the conversion of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul saw him. Who art thou? Lord. He fell at his feet. And the appearance of Jesus Christ over Jerusalem on the top of the Mount of Olives. Here he will come. And there will be the besieged city. And there will be these Jews. And they will see him. And they will believe in him. They can't do anything else. There he is. They will believe in him. Now will you turn back to Zechariah, please? Zechariah, please. And I want to read you down a little further. Verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that came against Jerusalem. Here he comes now with an iron hand and he'll tread the wrath, the, the, the winepress of the wrath of God when he comes in that day of judgment. But notice verse 10, what he's going to do to the house of David. And now I'll pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have, what is it? Pierced. Isn't it interesting that in these last few years the Jews have been trying to get the Pope and everybody else to tell everybody that they didn't have anything to do with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They've been doing their best. But look at this. And I'll pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Israel the spirit of grace and supplication. Grace, grace, grace. It's saving grace. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for an only son. I tell you, beloved, when they see this Messiah, the true one, when they see this one who was born of the Virgin Mary and is of the house of David, when they see this one who fulfills everything that Gabriel said to Mary about him, I will give unto him the throne of his father David and of his kingdom there shall be no end. When they see this one descending from heaven and there are the pierced hands, we have a description here of how they're going to turn in great lament and in great sorrow. And in that day the Lord shall defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then we come on down and we read, And shall be in bitterness for him as one 
that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Oh, how they're going to love him. Oh, how they're going to rejoice at him. And the, the very fact that at last the wailing walls cries, at last that here is this mighty conqueror, here is this one with all power and all glory, and here he appears, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of every promise that God made to Abraham. Abraham would have a seed, and in that seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And here he, here he comes. I'll read the rest of that, beloved. In that day there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadar, Rimon in the valley of... This is Armageddon. Begeddon. And the land shall mourn every family apart and family of the house of David apart and their wives apart and the families of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart. The family of the house of Levi apart and their wives apart and the family of Shimni apart and their wives apart. All the families that remain, every family apart and their wives apart. Beloved, they're going to wail they shall wail because of him. Here he is all these years. So many have rejected him. And beloved, I want to say to any Jew who may be tuned in tonight listening to this fundamental preacher, your Messiah is Jesus Christ. And this Messiah is coming soon. And you will not be over there in Jerusalem when this hour comes and he appears. And I want to beseech you tonight to turn and believe what the Bible says that a remnant shall be saved today. And my Jewish friend listening to Carl McIntyre, this fundamentalist preacher who's reading the Bible and explaining how it's to be literally fulfilled as it always has been, I beseech you tonight to put your trust in Jesus Christ as your true Messiah. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and he will make you indeed a son of the living God. Now look at this final verse. In that day there shall be a fountain opened in the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off the name of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophet shall be ashamed, every one of his vision, when he hath prophesied. Neither shall he wear a robe garment to deceive, but he shall say, I am no prophet. I am a husbandman, for men taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those, that I have, those which I, with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little one. And it shall come to pass that in all the land saith the Lord two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, This is my people and they shall say, The Lord is my God. Behold, the day cometh, saith the Lord, 
and the spoil that shall be divided in the midst of thee. And I will gather all nations together against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken. I read that to you. And then verse 4, his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. And then move down to verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. And there shall be one Lord and his name one. The wailing wall, the most sacred place in Israel tonight is the wail of the Jews through the centuries. And here are some of the exposed foundations of Solomon's temple going back 3,000 years that speaks of the former glory of Solomon and of David. Oh, beloved, here it is, and we're at the very threshold of it tonight, and you and I are Gentile. We are Gentile. And in the mysterious grace of God, we have been privileged to hear the gospel and to believe it. And by believing this gospel, our souls have been saved and we've become new creatures. And we're heirs according to the great promises that God gave to Abraham. And we're in the true bride and we're a part of his true church tonight. Oh, the mercy of God that has been shown upon the Gentiles. To the Jew first, but also to the Greek. And that little also in there included you and me. It included the Collingswood Church. It included that we should have faith and believing God's word. We should have peace in our souls and our hearts. And in these latter days of apostasy and trial and confusion and all that's stirring the nations, we can turn to this blessed book. And when the Jews move in and in a lightning flash of one week they move in and capture that city and they say we will never give it up. We will never give it up. It looks to me as though the stage is pretty close. Very close. To the coming of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, we thank thee for this spiritual understanding which thou hast given us. Now bless the message to those who've heard it tonight. Oh Father, we are a little remnant. But we have a great message. And a glorious God. These things we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen.